We'd like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show, the final jazz show for the month of September. And, of course, tonight being a, a rather auspicious night. <laughs> How many people watched NFL football? Yeah, right. Anyway, we won't uh, discuss that because we're all about music this evening, as we are every Monday night. This is The Jazz Show, and my name is Gavin Walker, and we have lots to play for you this evening. But, you know, September 23rd is really the beginning of John Coltrane Week. John Coltrane, arguably one of the most influential jazz musicians of the 20th century, was born in Hamlet, North Carolina, on September 23, 1926, and had he lived beyond his brief stay on this earth of only 40 years, had Coltrane lived, he would have been 90 years old. So it's kind of a, a, an important birthday anniversary, but not only that, musically, John Coltrane's contributions to jazz have been absolutely enormous. And the interesting thing about Coltrane's career, even though he sort of suddenly in the mid-50s came out of total obscurity um, when he joined Miles Davis's first great quintet, and then the world started talking about John Coltrane, the fact is that uh, just about every aspect of Coltrane's development as a musician has been recorded and documented. There are just tons of albums out there, um, box sets, um, complete albums of um, certain performances, like his legendary performances at the Village Vanguard in 1961, all this kind of stuff. Most of Coltrane's um, recorded output is available either by buying uh, CDs, MP3s, or just going on the Internet. And it's uh, quite and very, very extensive. And it covers every aspect of his development as a musician, from his uh, rather hesitant start uh, playing with Miles Davis um, in the mid-'50s, where he sometimes played himself into uh, corners, uh, squeaked and squawked, and his tone wasn't particularly attractive. But he had something, and Miles knew that, of course. And, um, and then, of course, the pivotal year was 1957, where Coltrane threw off his um, addiction to alcohol and hard drugs and just through sheer will, and he did it. Uh, which was a tremendous accomplishment in itself, and embarked at the encouragement of Thelonious Monk, who he joined in the summer of 1957, became part of Monk's working quartet. It was Monk that encouraged Coltrane. He, he said, you've got so much to deliver. You get rid of those awful habits, and you get down to practicing that saxophone. And, of course, that's what Coltrane did. And and it's amazing if you listen to his recordings done in the year 1956 and compare them to his recordings in 1957, 
quite uh, an amazing uh, development uh, in his concept, his direction, and his strength as a musician. And, of course, that continued over the years. And as I mentioned before, Coltrane's evolution has been completely um, documented right from the, right the get-go. And they've even uncovered uh, recordings when he was not well-known at all, some great recordings when he was uh, part of Dizzy Gillespie's band uh, back in the, or Dizzy Gillespie's small, small band back in the early 50s. And... Um, also with Johnny Hodges' band, uh, where he was a member of before he became involved with Miles Davis. This recording we're going to hear this evening is a classic. It's one of Coltrane's favorite recordings. In an interview uh, that was done in 1960, John Coltrane said that he was asked what his favorite album was, and he, he without hesitation, he said, Blue Train. Blue Train was an album that he did for Blue Note Records. It was a one-off because Coltrane was signed to Prestige Records. He had an exclusive contract with that label. But for some reason, they were able to, able to negotiate the owner of Blue Note, Alfred Lyon, and Bob Weinstock, who owned Prestige Records, were able to negotiate uh, a deal where Coltrane could record this one album for Blue Note. So John Coltrane was given carte blanche to pick out the musicians that he wanted to work with and do this album. And, of course, Blue Note, unlike Prestige, paid for rehearsals. This is very important. And this album really takes another level. Not that his Prestige albums were, were uh, to be neglected. None of them. They're all good. But this Blue Note album was somehow exceptional, and I think Coltrane felt that way, too. And the first thing, when he was asked the question of his favorite album, he said, Blue Train, because it was a great band. And so he was acknowledging all the other people. And, of course, he was responsible for picking the personnel. So we're going to hear this album in its entirety, including um, a previously unissued alternate take. We'll, uh, we'll do that. And we're also going to hear this album in the order, not the order that it appears on the original vinyl or the CD, but the order that these musicians recorded it. In other words, in recording order. And so it, it, those of you that have heard this album many times will probably get... Um, some refreshment to your ears uh, because the, the tunes will be in a, in a different order than what they were put on the record. So Coltrane recorded this album um, during the latter part of his engagement with, um, as part of Thelonious Monk's quartet. And, of course, he, as I mentioned before, he grew as a musician, dealing with Monk's rather difficult music and uh, that particular uh, Monk Quartet uh, unfortunately never got a proper recording uh, when they were at their peak. It's too bad nobody did a, um, a live recording at the, at the club. There is one uh, later on from, from um, down the road, but uh, um, during the summer of 57, 
uh, every musician in New York was going to a place called the Five Spot to hear Coltrane with Monk. And many musicians said this was the most important music in jazz uh, since the development of Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker 10 years earlier. And uh, they felt that this was such a groundbreaking band. So it was during the latter part of uh, Coltrane's um, engagement with Thelonious Monk that he did go into the studio and rehearse the band and do this recording. So his playing was at a magnificent peak at this time. The people involved here was a wonderful trombonist from Detroit that Coltrane always liked, and they blended very well together. I'm talking about Curtis Fuller. He was one of the new voices on trombone, and um, his style and his playing fits with the concepts that John Coltrane set down on this recording. On trumpet, and he does, on a couple of tunes, absolutely steal the show. This is my opinion, but I'm sticking by it because he really does. I'm not going to tell you which tunes he does because I don't want your ears to be affected by my personal opinion. But I'm talking about Lee Morgan, the late and wonderful Lee Morgan. Incidentally, the film festival is going to have a movie on Lee Morgan and, and his life. Uh, very interesting. Check it out. Um, the thing about Lee Morgan was that he was 19 years old on this date, and he is in absolute peak form. So that's the horn front line. John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Lee Morgan on trumpet, Curtis Fuller on trombone. The rhythm section, the wonderful Kenny Drew on piano, one of Coltrane's favorites. And uh, Kenny has a, a wonderful sort of dancing quality and, and, and grace to his playing. Um, he derives his style from Bud Powell, as most piano players of that era do. But Kenny Drew had that kind of uh, dancing feeling, um, darting, dancing. Um, I guess it was maybe due to his West Indian ancestry. Two of the greatest rhythm players of all time. And the way they played together was the fact was what made them so great. And I'm talking about Paul Chambers on bass, who was, uh, I believe, around 21 years old here, and the great Philly Joe Jones on drums. Incidentally, Philly Joe and Coltrane were very tight musically. They, they worked together in Miles Davis's band. But um, all of Coltrane's 1957 recordings were done for prestige, and Philly Joe... For his, uh, for reasons um, that I won't go into right now, refused to record for prestige records after the year of 1956. So Coltrane had to use other drummers, very very good drummers, but they they weren't Philly Joe Jones. He is a unique and wonderful player. So he's on here, Philly Joe Jones. So as I mentioned before, we're going to hear the tunes in the order that. Um, the musicians recorded them. So we're going to begin with a tune uh, written by, there's four originals by John Coltrane here for the recording. We're going to uh, begin with a Coltrane original called Lazy Bird. Then we're going to move to a wonderful composition, a very complex composition called Moments Notice. And uh, that's a toughie. They really had to rehearse that one. Tune number two. 
Tune number three is the title track, and it's a snaky, wonderful blues, and it's the, it's just a killer. What can I say? And it's the title track, Blue Train. You know, everybody knew that Train's nickname was T-R-A-N-E, but Coltrane's title of this is spelled the way Train is spelled, T-R-A-I-N. There you go. Esoteric information here from uh, yours truly. Um, the next tune after Blue Train is uh, a- another style blues. It's blues with a-, a little bit of an interlude in it. It's interesting. It's up-tempo, and it's called Locomotion. It's another Coltrane original. And the final tune on the date is a very pretty um, ballad, the only ballad of the set, written by Jerome Kern and Johnny Mercer, and it's beautifully played by everyone in the band. Very loose arrangement. The tune is called I'm Old Fashioned. Then we're going to hear an alternate take of the first tune that we're playing, Lazy Bird. And that has, um, was reissued on a, a very special edition of the album Blue Train. So that's the agenda. Once again, the personnel, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Lee Morgan on trumpet, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Kenny Drew on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums, our jazz feature this evening, dedicated to the 90th birthday anniversary of John Coltrane. I guess we can call it John Coltrane Week. The album, Blue Train.
our jazz feature album, Blue Train. This is an album, of course, by John Coltrane. This album kind of occupies that same iconic position as Miles Davis's great album, Kind of Blue, or John Coltrane's album, uh, A Love Supreme, Dave Brubeck's album, Take Five, albums like that that are essential to any jazz collection. And this uh, album was actually John Coltrane's personal favorite. And he said that uh, in an interview in 1960, that this was the album. And, of course, he said, this is my favorite. Uh, he was asked um, whether this was his favorite album or, or what his favorite album was, and he instantly said, Blue Train. But what a great band. And uh, immediately acknowledging the, the band that he had personally picked for this album. This was uh, Coltrane's only um, album under his own name on Blue Note Records, and... Um, Everyone is glad it, it happened. And, of course, it's been issued and reissued many times and has always been in the Blue Note catalog. What we heard this evening was um, the album as the musicians uh, themselves recorded it in recording order. It was all done September fifteenth, 1957. And, of course, for Blue Note Records, they paid for rehearsal time, so the band was, was tight. Coltrane was able to introduce a whole bunch of new compositions uh, for the guys to play and, of course, uh, rehearse the band so they got that working band feel. And uh, as I said before, he was able to hire uh, all the people that he wanted, including the great drummer Philly Joe Jones. And, of course, Coltrane had worked with Philly Joe um, in Miles Davis's band, and Philly Joe was his favorite drummer. But, unfortunately, uh, uh, for all of Coltrane's 1957 recordings and 58 recordings that he did for Prestige Records, uh, Philly Joe had uh, severed his ties with Prestige. He refused to record for that label. So um, that's why on those prestige albums there is another drummer, a very, very fine drummer, but uh, not Philly Joe Jones. So he's on here. And, of course, the other people involved, 19-year-old Lee Morgan on trumpet, and I mentioned that Lee steals the show on two tunes on here, in my opinion. I'm still not going to tell you which ones because uh, you listen to the album you figure that one out. Lee Morgan on trumpet, great, great player, precocious and um, unbelievably capable of, of such mature playing at age 19. Incidentally, the film festival is uh, featuring um, a biography and a documentary on Lee Morgan, uh, worthwhile checking out. It's about a particularly dark period in his life, but... Uh, um, it's proven to be very interesting. I've heard some, read some reviews on, on the movie. So check it out. It's at the uh, Vancouver Film Festival. Lee Morgan on trumpet. On trombone, a newcomer on the scene at that time, the great Curtis Fuller 
on trombone with, a, with his buried, distinctive sound. And on piano, one of uh, Coltrane's favorites, Kenny Drew. And uh, Kenny had that wonderful sort of dancing quality to his playing and a beautifully clear uh, concept on, on piano. And, of course, Paul Chambers on bass and Philly Joe Jones on drums made up one of the greatest rhythm sections in all of jazz at that time. And uh, they worked together so well. Chambers was young, too. He was only 21 on this session. But he was uh, laying down that, those bass lines so wonderfully. The tunes in the order of appearance. We opened with uh, Lazy Bird, an original by John Coltrane. As a matter of fact, all of the tunes on this album are originals by Coltrane except for one. And uh, we opened with Lazy Bird. Then we moved to um, a complex composition that took a lot of rehearsal. Um, a difficult tune, but a great tune. Moments Notice was tune number two. And the third tune was the title track, The Long Snaky Blues, called Blue Train. Following Blue Train was an up-tempo blues. It's uh, actually a 12-bar blues. The form is A-A-B-A, and it's 12-12-8-12. And um, that's the, the form. And the tune was called Locomotion. Then we moved into the beautiful and loosely played ballad, and Coltrane picked Jerome Kearns and Johnny Mercer's beautiful song called I'm Old Fashioned. Then we heard a previously unreleased take of Lazy Bird again, and um, excellent version. And this was the take that was done just before the master take. So with those uh, six selections, that was our jazz feature this evening, the classic album Blue Train. We'll hear more Coltrane a little later on in the show from a, a later period. I have a couple of things I'd like to play in honor of his, uh, as I mentioned before, he was born in Hamlet, North Carolina, September 23rd, 1926, and this year he would have been 90 years old, so it's an auspicious um, birthday anniversary, and um, it's sort of, you know, September 23rd, um, and about the week after, kind of celebrates John Coltrane week. He contributed so much, and the nice thing about Coltrane is if you're a fan of his playing, every aspect of his playing is documented on recordings that go way back to the early 50s and right through until his untimely death at age 40 in 1967. So that was our jazz feature this evening, John Coltrane and Company and Blue Train. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR 101.9 on your FM dial or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we'll be right back with some music by one of the world's greatest drummers and his band. I'm talking about Buddy Rich. So stay with us.
Every year, the Vancouver International Film Festival brings a revelry of cinephilia to Vancouver. This year, Viv features over 300 films airing between September 29th and October 14th, with an opening gala featuring Eisling Walsh's Madi and a closing gala featuring Terrace Malick's Voyage of Time. Billions of years in the making. For its 35th year, VIF will be expanding the frame, emphasizing social interaction, workshops, and audience feedback. Find the complete program for this year's VIF online at viff.org. Experience VIF 2016 this September 29th to October 14th. It is a time of magic and change in the realm of Discordia. Discorder's format has once again transformed with the changing of seasons and years. September's Discorder Magazine. Experience it anew. Is there any way that you can be graceful when... Featuring cover artist Craftition, articles on Wish Kicker, Art Deco, and Hick, album reviews for Ramsey and Japanese Girls, and live show reviews of Art Swells, Space Melt, and more. Experience the transformation. Pick up a copy of Discorder at local record stores, venues, and more. Thank you to Discorder's advertisers. Vinyl Records, Recruiting Canada, Rickshaw, Fringe, Zipcar, Astoria, AMS, Don't Argue, Hastings Crossing, BIA, Live Band, The Rio, Shindig, Timber, Neptune, Viv, Unip Hit, Dead Offensive, Flemish Eye, Volunteer Media. Hold us all together in one as the winter comes. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Buddy Rich, of course, is legendary drummer. Many people feel that he was possibly the best drummer that ever lived, and uh, people are still arguing about that today. But, you know, best, and uh, music is not a contest. Uh, that's, um, that's a little different. Buddy Rich was just a, a great artist and one of the major drummers in jazz music. He was absolutely phenomenal. Um, he was self-taught. Uh, he had been playing music from the time he was, he was four years old. Uh, he was raised by vaudevillians um, who, who traveled all over the place, and, and uh, uh, Buddy uh, learned how to play the drums and, and dance and do all that kind of stuff. An amazing, amazing musician, had a long career. Now, something he did was very interesting. We all know that music changed in, in the 1960s. There was a major change in music. And it was a little bit of a devastating blow to jazz music, too, because a lot of jazz listeners um, stopped listening to jazz in the 60s because of bands like uh, the Jefferson Airplane, um, eventually Jimi Hendrix, bands like The Cream, The Beatles, of course, The Rolling Stones. Rock and roll had really began to dominate the whole music industry, and a lot of um, people kind of defected from uh, listening to jazz because uh, obviously rock and roll meant more to them than, uh, than devotion to the complexities of jazz music. So um, it's not that jazz disappeared. It's simply that uh, it got overshadowed in those years, and, and uh, the 60s was a great era for 
uh, all kinds of music, including jazz. When we look back, there, was, there were a lot of things that were happening in jazz music as well. And, of course, the evolution of rock music that uh, became world, a worldwide phenomena. Buddy Rich had, of course, uh, survived all of this. And he did something in the 60s that left a lot of people scratching their heads. He formed a big band. Of all things, a big band. And, it, and he was told by everybody, don't do this, man. You've got a career. You can lead small groups. You can appear on your own. You can do this. A big band? Come on, they died years ago. You don't want to form a big band. But Buddy Rich had worked in so many big bands, and he said, I'm forming a big band. I don't give a damn what you say. And he did. And it became successful despite all the doubters and, and people that told Buddy not to do this. And, of course, um, it was a tremendous big band led by his inspiration and his drive, his energy. Of course, the personnel changed over the years. Um, when he initially started, he used um, hardcore professional uh, musicians. And then later on, as, as he continued to um, evolve um, and evolve the, the band, uh, it became more economical for him to, uh, to go to the music schools and get uh, student musicians, talented student uh, musicians, and put them in, in the big band. And, of course, uh, he's, he survived right up until his, um, his death at, uh, at 69. Buddy Rich was uh, an amazing energy force. Anyway, we're going to play two pieces of music by the Buddy Rich Big Band. And these were show pieces for the band. Uh, this first one was, that we're going to hear was recorded in uh, 1966 with uh, the... One of the very early editions of his big band. I'm not going to run in all of all the personnel, but uh, of course, Buddy is on drums here, and the arrangement for this music is by a guy named Bill Reddy, and he did a great arrangement. And this was a showcase for the band. It's the West Side Story medley. So we're going to hear the overture, uh, "Cool Something's Coming," and a beautiful ballad somewhere. Uh, the music was written by Stephen Sondheim and Leonard Bernstein. And uh, we hear two wonderful soloists on, on here, Jay Corey on tenor saxophone and Jim Trimble on trombone. And, um, of course, the, the band was full of um, uh, uh, professional, um, really experienced musicians uh, on this recording. As a matter of fact, the album uh, came out on Pacific Jazz Records called Swingin' New Big Band. So this is one of Buddy's very earliest recordings with his newly formed band. So, without further ado, we're going to hear the West Side Story. Then we're going to follow it up with another suite um, that uh, was written for the band and a slightly later edition of the band. Again, the arranger is Bill Reddy, and he wrote the music. And we're going to hear um, the great Don Menza, the Red Baron, on tenor saxophone, and Bill Prince on trumpet, and, of course, Buddy Rich on drums. And it's Bill Reddy's great Channel One Suite. So we start with the West Side Story medley, and following that will be the Channel One Suite. And I present to you 
the Buddy Rich Orchestra. Here we go.
Buddy Rich, the amazing and legendary drummer, leading his big band in two uh, famous uh, suites that um, his, his big band did. And we first heard uh, West Side Story, and that particular medley played by his uh, 1966 edition of the big band. And we heard uh, arranged by Bill Reddy, and of course the music composed by Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim. And the soloists on that were Jay Corey on tenor saxophone and Jim Trimble on trombone. And we heard the, uh, first of all, the West Side Story medley. Uh, the overture, uh, cool, something's coming, somewhere, etc. Uh, all recorded uh, live at the uh, Shea Club in Hollywood, California in 1966. So that was the West Side Story. Then we heard the incredible Channel One Suite, which was an original composition by Bill Reddy, and that featured uh, the great Don Menza on tenor saxophone and Bill Prince on trumpet, and of course, Bernard Rich on drums, and uh, unequaled, amazing, and of course, uh, his energy just driving that big band. This was recorded again live in, uh, at Caesars Palace, actually, in Las Vegas in July of 1968. So we heard these two uh, well-known suites that were specialties of the Buddy Rich Big Band. So I hope you enjoyed this, and uh, we'll be back with some music by some, uh, by some ladies, all right, who, uh, no, not singers. These ladies play instruments, and we'll tell you about it in a minute. All right, you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. And uh, before we uh, program a couple of messages for you, I'd, I'd like to tell you, uh, as I do every week, about a couple of websites that are um, very informative. And one of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. You can get everything that they're involved with on this particular website, and it's coastaljazz.ca. Um, there's the schedule at uh, Frankie's Jazz Club, which is, of course, a wonderful place down on Beatty Street, right opposite BC Place. It's a very hip jazz club. And uh, all the schedule down there, you can actually make reservations and uh, all, all that sort of stuff on the website. And, of course, Coastal Jazz has a, a whole number of concerts that they're producing. And, of course, Coastal Jazz produces the Jazz Festival. Yes, but they never sleep. After the Jazz Festival's over, they're back to work and uh, all kinds of stuff is happening. And they, they have this uh, very good comprehensive website, so it's... Very simple and uh, very easily accessible, coastaljazz.ca. And uh, another fine website to uh, check out is vancouverjazz.com, and that's put together by my old friend Brian Nation, who uh, keeps that site up to date. And it's, there's always interesting stuff on the Vancouver Jazz website. So coastaljazz.ca or vancouverjazz.com. And uh, one more mention, a good friend of mine, Ken Speller, is a wonderful 
uh, saxophone player, clarinet player, flute player, musician. Lived in Japan for many, many years. Uh, he's a teacher. He comes to your house. He has a business called Music at Home, and he'll actually come to your house and teach you how to play um, any of those instruments and advise you on uh, if you're renting uh, or buying on uh, which uh, quality instrument to get and all that sort of stuff. He's also a wonderful repairman, so if you already own uh, a saxophone or flute or clarinet, you have to know that uh, it needs upkeep. Just like a car, it needs a tune-up once in a while or uh, sometimes a complete overhaul. <laughs> there you go. And uh, Ken does this kind of work. It's very expensive if you take it to a music store. Um, there's some good ones around Vancouver and, and elsewhere, but, uh, uh, they, you know, they have to charge you some money because they have a big overhead. And the, the neat thing about Ken is that uh, his repair shop is right in his home, so he doesn't have the, that kind of overhead expense, and so he can give you a very, very reasonable price on overhauling or tweaking your instrument, and uh, he will do that. He is located uh, near Metrotown in Burnaby, and he can be reached at 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, or K Speller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. K Speller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Ken Speller. Good guy to know. All right, and coming up, uh, in a few moments after these messages. One of them being this one. Hey, why so sad? Oh, nothing really. <laughs> Not very convincing, Jane girl. Whatever it is, I've got chocolate cure for it. Did you know CITR has a women's collective? This brand new collective is all about providing and fostering a community for women who are or who want to be in radio, fighting the gender disparity in media, and centering women's voices and issues. If you are a female-identified person or ally who's already involved in radio or wants somewhere to start, this collective is for you. Email womenscollective at citr.ca for more information and to get involved. And tune in Friday at 6 p.m. for the collective show, Lady Radio, featuring music, interviews, events, news, commentary. Basically anything we care to talk about. See you then. Well, how do you like it? There's only one word for it. Terrific. <laughs> you know, I'm so... Do you like friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends on Commercial Drive, like 10% off at Stormcrow Tavern, High Life Records, Audio Pile, Mintage Clothing, and more. Visit citr.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest.
Okay, well, we have a little bit of uh, weather information for you. Tonight is going to be uh, cloudy with a 40% chance of a shower, and it's going to get a little bit of wind as well with a low of 13. And then tomorrow is cloudy in the morning, but it's going to be clearing in the afternoon uh, with some wind again with a low of 13 and a high of 17. And then for three days in a row, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we're going to get a little bit of summer back, a little cooler in the evenings, but um, and not as warm during the daytime, but it's going to be sunny for those three days with lows between uh, 9 and 10 and highs between uh, 15 and 17 for the next three days. That's Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Saturday is a bit of a downturn, cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower, low of 9, high of 15. And Sunday, pretty well the same, with a low of 9 and a high of 15. So the weekend, uh, a little bit iffy. But uh, the ne- uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, looks real good. All right. Here are a couple of great female musicians. One of them was married to uh, saxophonist George Coleman. Her name is Gloria Coleman, and um, they, uh, they had a son who uh, was named after his dad, of course. He's George Coleman Jr., and he's a great drummer. And, of course, George Coleman is one of the leading saxophone players in the world, still around. Gloria Coleman was uh, George's wife of the time, and she is one hell of an organ player, great player. On drums is her buddy, Paula Roberts, and uh, she's a fine swinging drummer. On alto saxophone, one of my all-time favorites from Dallas, Texas, Leo Wright. And on guitar, the one and only Grant Green. This album is, uh, came out on Impulse Records many years ago. It's called Soul Sisters, and we're going to hear a, a bunch of tunes um, by these um, great ladies and uh, and two gentlemen. So the first tune is called Q Baby, named after uh, the saxophonist Ike Quebec, who used to sit in with the band all the time. And the next tune is called Sadie Green. And the third tune is dedicated to a saxophone player who used to all, always play in this band as well, uh, a gentleman named Sonny Red. So this is called Hey, Sonny Red. So once again, Gloria Coleman on Hammond organ, Paula Roberts on drums, Leo Wright on alto saxophone, and Grant Green on guitar. Hope you enjoy the music. Here we go. Thank you. 
two fine ladies there playing some music with um, Leo Wright on alto saxophone and Grant Green on guitar, and of course led by organist Gloria Coleman with her buddy Paula Roberts on drums. And we heard three compositions by Gloria. The first one was dedicated to the great uh, Ike Quebec, late tenor saxophonist. It's called Q, baby. And the second one was actually dedicated to uh, her nickname for Grant Green. She always used to call him Sadie Green, and that was the name of the second tune. And the final tune was um, a tune dedicated to uh, um, a saxophone player, an alto saxophone player that used to, uh, that uh, was in the band just before Leo Wright joined, a gentleman named Sonny Red. And uh, that was called simply, Hey, Sonny Red. All right, Grant Green on guitar, Leo Wright on alto saxophone, Gloria Coleman leading on organ, and Paula Roberts on drums from an album called Soul Sisters. I mentioned at the uh, top of the show that we'd be playing a little more John Coltrane, and we are going to right at this moment. Just to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And my name's Gavin Walker, and we're going to hear the classic quartet. 1965 was a transition year for John Coltrane um, and his music. I remember hearing the band live in the early part of 1965, and, of course, uh, it was uh, an absolutely devastating and wonderful experience, all combined. And then later on that, that year in San Francisco, um, I guess it was October of 1965, the music had changed radically. It had become more abstract, more, um, more difficult, and yet just as profound and, and um, absolutely uh, mesmerizing. And, of course, Coltrane had um, expanded the band. Uh, he had, um, by that time, he had acquired another drummer. So he had Elvin Jones on drums and Rashid Ali on drums. And, of course, he had added his alter ego on tenor saxophone. That's Pharaoh Sanders. McCoy Tyner was still with the band, and Jimmy uh, Garrison was still playing bass with the band. But the music was totally different from what I heard at the beginning of 1965. We're going to go to a recording session, which took place right in the middle of the year, in June of 1965, with the classic quartet. And here, three pieces of music. The first one is entitled, it's a spiritual kind of a piece, and it features, of course, uh, McCoy Tyner at the piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums, and John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, and the piece is called Welcome. Second piece is um, a little blues called The Last Blues, and um, it's done without McCoy Tyner. He doesn't play on this tune, just with bass and drums. 
The final tune is a very extended tune, and it shows the power of what the quartet could do. They, they just they tear this one up. Um, this tune actually had no title, but thank God they recorded it. Um, and eventually Coltrane called it Transition. And in a way, that's what it is, represents the transition of uh, the, the music was, was transcending in the year of 1965. Coltrane uh, in 1965 only had two more years to live, but uh, his playing by this time was absolutely unbelievable. So this is a further tribute to John Coltrane, all recorded June the 10th, 1965, and we begin with Welcome.
from a recording session that took place June the 10th, 1965. That was the John Coltrane classic quartet with John Coltrane, of course, on tenor saxophone, McCoy Tyner at the piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. And we heard three pieces of music reflecting three different moods. And we began with the very beautiful lyrical piece entitled Welcome. It's almost like a prayer. And then we moved to a blues uh, entitled The Last Blues. And it was uh, done without the piano, just uh, with Coltrane, Garrison, and Jones. And the final piece is the amazing and uh, empirical piece of music called Transition. And, of course, that piece captures a little bit of what that band sounded like in person, if you can imagine, in a small club, uh, playing music with that kind of intensity and fire. It was an unbelievable experience. And, of course, it uh, was captured in the recording studio, for which we were are all grateful. John Coltrane, and, of course, celebrating on the 23rd of September was his, uh, what would have been his 90th birthday. And, of course, this is kind of uh, John Coltrane week. We featured uh, Coltrane's classic album uh, at the beginning of the show. um, His album recorded in 1957 called Blue Train. And we continued the tribute with uh, the, the three pieces you just heard with the classic quartet from June the 10th, 1965. John Coltrane, absolutely phenomenal. There will never be another John Coltrane. We're going to move now to the music of um, a young band from Toronto. And this isn't a band. This is, well, it is a band, yes, but it's a trio. And it uh, consists of a gentleman named Terry Parker, who plays the piano and various electronic instruments, and Simeon Abbott, who also plays the piano, Hammond B3, electric piano, and other instruments. So essentially, it's two pianos uh, with Mark Seger on drums and percussion. And the album is called The Parker Abbott Trio. And the album is entitled Elevation. And um, you can uh, read more uh, about this um Group, if you go to triple uh, W Parker Abbott Trio dot com, and that's Abbott um, spelt with a, a double T, Abbott Trio, all one word, Parker Abbott Trio, and these uh, young men are from uh, uh, Toronto, and this is uh, their. Um, I believe it's their debut album, the Parker Abbott Trio. We're going to hear a couple of tunes from here. Very, very different mood from what we've been hearing. Uh, The first composition by these guys, um, these are all co-compositions, is entitled Everyday Gray. And the second piece of music is called Octopus. And uh, then we may go to one more piece. But we'll let you know the titles after we hear some music. 
by the Parker Abbott Trio.
That was some music by the Parker Abbott Trio. And Ted, um, Terry Parker on piano and uh, other instruments, the uh, electric piano and uh, uh, etc. And uh, Simeon Abbott on piano, Hammond B3 and other instruments. And Mark Seeger on drums. And that's from an album entitled Elevation by the Parker Abbott Trio. And these young men are out of uh, Toronto. And uh, these are all compositions by the, uh, the two keyboard artists. We heard three tunes. The first one was entitled Everyday Gray. The second one was called Octopus. And the bluesy thing at the end was called Maybe. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, music, a little shift after uh, hearing that uh, very intense John Coltrane music. And I hope this uh, little bit of uh, contrast from the Parker Abbott Trio. And uh, that's quite a interesting and very creative album. There you go. All right, we're going to turn now to some live music by my favorite edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and, and uh, according to what Art Blakey told me, his favorite edition of The Messengers. And this was recorded, um, the sound quality isn't bad on these, this was recorded off the radio, but um, these are what they call bootleg records. <laughs> and they were recorded at Birdland in New York, um, June the 4th, 1960. And uh, it features some amazing and very intense playing by Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, Lee Morgan on trumpet, Walter Davis Jr. at the piano, subbing for uh, the regular pianist Bobby Timmons, and Jimmy Merritt on bass. And uh, we're going to hear a Wayne Shorter composition dedicated to the great saxophonist Lester Young, who had just passed away, and the tune is called Lester Left Town. And then we're going to uh, move to a tune by Lee Morgan called The Midget. And um, then it kind of it fades out on the uh, last melody statement. But uh, these are pretty fine recordings, and the band is just cooking. Uh, Art Blakey and his jazz messengers, and the voice you hear, because this was a radio broadcast, is the voice of Symphony Sid Torrin, one of the great uh, um, jazz DJs uh, of his day. So I hope you enjoy these two selections by Art Blakey and his jazz messengers. Here we go. Wayne Shorter's very wonderful tune. How about a great big hand for Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers doing a dedication to the late Lester Young. This is called Lester Left Town. Everybody.
Messengers, may I introduce you to the people? Lee Morgan on trumpet. How about a nice big hand for Lee Morgan? Yeah. Wayne Shorter on tenor. Jimmy Merritt on bass. Setting in for Bobby Timmons this morning, Walter Davis Jr.
two lengthy pieces by Art Blakey and his jazz messengers recorded at Birdland and um, the voice you heard announcing the the band and introducing the musicians was uh, the great uh, legendary DJ Symphony Sid Symphony Sid Torrin all of this was recorded June the 4th 1960 
And uh, as I mentioned before, these were broadcast recordings, so uh, they they never came out on uh, legitimate labels. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the sound quality wasn't too bad, considering. And we heard Art Blakey, of course, on drums. Wayne Shorter playing particularly intensely on tenor saxophone. Lee Morgan on trumpet. Walter Davis Jr. at the piano, subbing for the regular pianist Bobby Timmons, and Jimmy Merritt on bass. And we heard two tunes. The first one was dedicated to, was a Wayne Shorter composition dedicated to uh, the great Lester Young, and it was called Lester Left Town. And maybe that's a good description for uh, the guy that uh, moderated the debate tonight, Lester Holmes. You know, he seemed to have left town. The second tune was written by Lee Morgan, and it was called The Midget, and it was a minor key blues. That, that, that's why Morgan called it that. All right, so there you go. And that's it for the jazz show this evening, and I certainly hope if you were here for a while or for the whole show, I certainly hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the jazz show. My name's Gavin Walker, and on behalf of uh, CITR, 101.9 on your FM dial or on the web, www.citr.ca, I'd like to bid you uh, a very fine good morning, and we'll see you in seven days' time for another edition of The Jazz Show. Take care, and uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, going to be sunshine. Enjoy it. Bye for now. Thank <laughs> you.